0: How are you? All right. Are you... Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm good, thank you.
1: Are you well? I am. I've got very hot ears. I think yes. they're, they're cute, but they're not, they're not that <laughs> yeah, Kind of the, you know, over-the-ear can-type headphones <clears throat> do give me
0: awfully hot ears. Oh, they just press my glasses into my head, which really hurts.
1: <laughs> We're a pair, aren't we?
0: Welcome to North v South, the podcast that is and isn't generally about design. This is episode 55, as yet untitled, but I'm sure we'll come up with some classic quote during the episode. Welcome to a hot and sunny
1: GB. Yes, not quite as hot as yesterday. That was something else, wasn't it? Yeah. Were you uh, you running around in the garden, uh, naked through a sprinkler? Uh, Yeah.
0: Oh no Excellent. I, I wasn't naked i had to get into my daughter's paddling pool uh, when i got home from a run i did a six mile run in the countryside at about half six and uh it was uh, yes. i regretted Still probably it
1: about 27 degrees then, was it? <laughs> it was outrageous
0: it was so hot and it's quite hilly here yes uh, i had a mile uphill God. and uh yeah i regretted it
1: but how's the running going
0: i did see a stoat
1: Oh, marvelous! Yeah. I, I Ran like that. That's ran start. out in
0: front of me. It was totally amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, how was how's my running going? Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, my legs back to uh, back to normal.
1: Good. My marathon running uh, training hasn't quite started yet.
0: <laughs> Is it? Are you still thinking about it?
1: <coughs> no. I, yes.
0: <laughs> still in the planning stages.
1: Yes. That's it. That's it. That makes it sound more. <laughs> more. Yes. Have uh, you got a beer to accompany our chat tonight, John? Have you poured yourself something cold and frothy? I had, I've had. had one already.
0: Um, I've had my... Uh, Jessica bought me a new beer called Ghost Ship, huh. which is from Adnams, a famous brewery here in, the, in England.
1: Love, I love an Adnams.
0: Yeah, and this is really rather good. It's a pale ale, but made in an English style, I'd say, not an American style, so it's made yep. with... Uh, English hops, uh, I'd imagine. And um, it uh, is very good. It's a little mm. dry, so you'd probably want to drink it with eat while eating something. Yeah. But um, it's like, very um, good.
1: I like Andam's Werry. Oh, I've not had that that's, one. That's my favourite. <coughs> a werry being the typical Norfolk broad type of boat.
0: Yeah, or even mm. London, wasn't it? Full of werry yes, men. of course, yeah. yeah. It's a good word, isn't it, werry?
1: It is yeah uh, so what have you been up to this week?
0: Yes, good question <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been doing agency stuff uh, I've also been I had a day off on Tuesday. my oh, wife no. my wife got back from uh, a show that she's been up for a couple of weeks and um, so we went and it was her birthday so we went and picked up our new car. And had, Fancy, yeah, and had a spot of lunch. Ah. Um so that was that was very nice.
1: Yeah, happy birthday, Jess.
0: <laughs> oh. yeah, she's uh, off um, tomorrow at half yeah. five. Back up to uh, she's going to Nebworth to some dog show. God, <laughs> wow! <laughs> for, the, for the weekend, so it's daddy daycare again.
1: Yeah, you must be getting quite good at it now, are you? I'm,
0: um, yeah, <laughs> I'm quite hands off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you have to, uh, you have to write a book. Yeah, about your your um, travails.
0: I've not uh, got time. Well, that's
1: one problem. Isn't it? I've also
0: I've been build, building a patio. I've chosen the hottest week in you know since 1976 to start digging trenches in the garden.
1: Wow, well, is this uh, what manner of patio? The decking or slabs? It's going to be
0: yeah, like uh, yeah slabs. Um, but we've got a sloped garden at the top. Uh, where I've put loads of spoil from uh, other bits of the garden. So I'm kind of levelling that off. So it's a, it's quite raised mm-hmm. and uh, building it up with sleepers and stuff. So it's quite a, quite an engineering
1: feat. Yeah. Brunel would be proud. <laughs> I do hope you're wearing a, a, a top hat
0: as you, uh, yeah, as you just, complete I'm, the work. I'm stripped to the waist and smoking a clay
1: pipe. Marvellous. That's how I always imagine you anyway. That's how I record this show. Hmm. Careful, my mum will be listening. What have you been doing? We had a huge wedding weekend last weekend. We had three weddings, which was hard work and very, very hot. Um, And then just a bit bit of the usual. So a couple of commissions, a bit of commercial illustration work, um, which I'm finishing off after this episode. Um, I'm back in Shoreditch this week. Uh, yeah, that's about it. But the highlight of the week for me was um, a TV program, uh, Hospital. Have you seen it? The documentary series on BBC Two of a fly on the wall thing, and it follows kind of a different theme generally each week. So last series they you know, they had a, an hour which was kind of talking about how they manage the, the bed crisis, you know, how they juggle everyone's needs. And another one was about how they try and recoup money from foreign patients that don't have insurance. <clears throat> That's really interesting. And, you know, it makes you appreciate the NHS even more because they're really up against it. Um, and the first episode of the new series was um, it's also in St. Mary's Hospital. In uh, Paddington and St Mary's was one of the hospitals that received lots of the injured people from the terrorist attack on Westminster Bridge in in March so this was kind of like a first hand account really of how the NHS dealt with that incident and it was incredible Um, you know how they cope with I think in an hour they had more critical patients than they normally have in an entire day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, it was an incredible program and very the moving thing about it for me was seeing how they all, all well, these people just work so hard to do their jobs in the face of horror, really. Uh, and it was incredible. And the NHS brilliant. So it's well worth watching. It's just called Hospital. BBC Two. <clears throat> oh, by the way, I'm drinking. I'm drinking, uh, I'm drinking um, a, a bottle of uh, Trinity from the Redemption Brewery in London, which is a uh, a light ale, and it's quite nice, not too hoppy. Um, it is a little bit American style. I was looking in my local beer shop, and I reckon out of the beers they have, eighty percent of them. American style pale ales which is just crazy it's just obviously what everyone makes but um, it's bonkers because as we've discussed they all do taste a bit the same the new new trend is murky beer isn't it Mm. Um, I'm not a fan of murky beer having managed bars and um, (laughs) written written a book on cellar management for bass uh,
0: I don't like a murky beer. It's also, it's a bit like the organic wine trend at the moment. Mm. Just, you know, it's actually quite filthy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well said.
0: And, uh, tell, I've watched one television programme which really caught my eye. There's a Japanese season on BBC4, as right. the BBC often do. They, they theme uh, certain weeks. Mm-hmm. And I heartily recommend The Art Of. They they did a a samurai sword, which I haven't seen yet. That was the first (gasps) episode, and the second one, which I just sat absolutely transfixed by, was making of a kimono, and it's it's just brilliant, really, really brilliant. Yeah, there's 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 been another one, um, an artist, and I can't remember his name, and I haven't got the (coughs) notes to hand, but he's um, you'll you'll probably know of him. He's wheelchair uh, bound, conceptual artist. And it was his sort of look at Japanese art and okay. uh, and aesthetics. Is so the, it was very is much the artist like, Japanese. No, he's English. Oh. I can't remember his name. But the the kimono, yeah, it's just incredible. The process and the amount of people that are involved in producing, you know, one of these garments is yeah. astonishing. It takes one year <clears throat> just to make the silk, just to make the you know the actual bit of material that they're going to stitch together. Wow. It's it's a brilliant film, really. I shall really look forward to that. Oh, yeah. handmade yeah. in Japan. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, fab. Love all things Japanese, so that's going to be a real treat.
0: Yeah. <coughs> oh, and I read, and I've finally read some Hellboy. Ah, because Did on you
1: start at the beginning.
0: Yeah, uh, it's um, on on Amazon at the moment. If you've got Amazon Prime, yep. uh, you can borrow the uh, first four issues of the what comic
1: what um, did you think
0: i really liked the art um and uh, and i like him as a character yeah i thought mm. it was good i thought it was sort of yeah cross between superhero and league of gentlemen
1: sort of storyline um, yeah it gets uh you know there's an arc to the to the entire hellboy output really Um, And I think it becomes a little bit less episodic. Um, And it's so deep and rich, this world that Mignola's created. It's just remarkable. Um, Yeah, it's fantastic. And they're making a new film of it.
0: Yeah, you said. Yeah, my my toe was dipped and pleasured.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of which... Uh, you've got a new story about a, a dipped toe haven't you
0: <laughs> yeah i wasn't going to mention that in the end but i, I just thought you, it was I just you to, it yeah. was so bizarre um yeah uh,
1: i had heard about this story before this anyway go on
0: yeah in, in canada uh, police are investigating a theft of a mummified human toe which is served in drinks uh, and I, I guess is passed between you know and passed back but somebody's made off with it it's a it's a um, a forty year old signature drink, the sour toe cocktail. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not something I'd want floating in
1: my drink. No. Uh, yes, it's a it's a, a mummified toe, isn't it? Uh, who is it? A rum runner pre- preserved his frostbitten, amputated big toe in a jar of alcohol. <laughs> Fifty years later, the pickle toe was discovered and popped in a drink. Yeah, quite something, that. Well, if we're um, getting rid of all
0: the EU uh, legislation... Uh, yeah, we'd be uh, able to do that. we will be able to do that kind of thing. You could just dip any old toe in there, couldn't you? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. you have to have a look in your shed and see if there are any. <laughs> <coughs> Bound to be, well. one. So. Oh, my goodness. Um, so that was our first, um, first bit of news. Uh, my first bit of news is... Uh, a video that's been doing the rounds on Twitter for a week or so. So everyone pretty much has seen it, but it is truly remarkable. It's a video called Wood Swimmer by uh, Brett Foxwell. I think it's a music video that he created. I don't know if it's for his music or not, but it's uh, incredible. Basically he's sanded uh, a really rough piece of wood and, made a stop motion video out of it so he kind of sands a a layer off picture sands a layer off picture and the resulting film is just incredible the title wood swimmer really works because the wood seems to flow like liquid it's have you seen it
0: uh, I watched it when you put it up. Yeah, I'd not, not seen it. I'd not. It's heard sort of, of it. mesmerizing, isn't it? It's totally. It looks like those videos used to make. We um, used to make sort of animations of fractals when I first started yeah. playing around with computers in the nineties.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's There's amazing. Sort of a, a weird sort of rhythm to it, and a liquid, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: it's incredible.
1: Yes, but definitely worth looking
0: out for. Wood swimmer. That's on Vimeo. Color. The perception of colour. We've spoken about it before. Um we have it, we've it. even had our episode mentioned by uh by certain publications. Yes. Yes. Uh I I was just I was I was working on a website for a Polish for a Polish website from the UK back to Poland. Back at you Poland. Uh and um I need to get the flag um of Poland. So I went on to wikipedia as everyone does to mm-hmm. go to their main page to find the official um file because you can get svg map file uh, yeah, yeah flag files now and i looked at the flag and i thought that looks grey to me have you followed this link <coughs> i've just clicked on the uh,
1: mm-hmm. yes what does it look like yes very pale gray and red
0: yeah so there's a huge argument in the second link that I've put on there, which is sort of a chat about why this is grey. I mean, if you actually download the file and open it up and look at it, it isn't pure white. It's a, it's a slightly off-white. Okay. Um, but but it's massively accentuated by, um, by the screen. But the problem that they've got is that uh, in Polish legislature, um, the colours are defined as, uh, I think they're C... What's it? CIE values. That's sort of like a LAB. Yeah, CIE. Value. Yeah,
1: CIE LAB color space.
0: Yeah, and th- and that it's quoted as being uh, made on material, uh, as in fabric. Okay. there's been no thinking about it ever being shown online. So that's the only bit of uh, information they've got to go on. So they've had to reproduce it and people keep replacing the SVG with a white version, but it then gets put back because Wikipedia are trying to uphold facts rather than people's, you know, what people want. So whether this will then be changed in legislation or whether the polish government will get its act together and and create some brand guidelines but this is this is a perfect example of the perception of color and the kind of controversy behind not managing or not having a set of rules that you you know that cover all all bases that's kind of Uh, remarkable isn't it yeah it's a brilliant story isn't it so obviously i just changed it to white (laughs) Uh, I, won't, yeah. I won't give you the website they worked on, but yeah, no, so it is It is grey, isn't
1: it? It is. That's really quite something. Yeah. Uh, My next news um, isn't news, it's an article in The Atlantic magazine, uh, TheAtlantic.com, which is a great um, online magazine, is it? Um, and they do lots of photojournalism stuff. Uh, and it's an article on shipbreakers, and this is a, a thing that's always fascinated me—the um, kind of shipbreaking yards of uh, Bangladesh, where they run these huge, great, obsolete ships, quite often, you know, big container ships or oil tankers, and they just power them up onto the beach in uh, Bangladesh or Pakistan, and then they're, they're taken apart almost by hand, and they're just. the the scale of this thing, you know, you can look at these ships on Google Earth. um, You can see them from space. And it's, um, I imagine it's, you know, the most horrific work to be involved in. Um, I imagine the kind of pollution and contaminants are are hideous. But it's kind of a human spectacle. It's just remarkable. Uh, So this uh, article in theatlantic.com, Shipbreakers breakers is uh, just stunning it's well worth having a look at I've just noticed it's from three years ago so I don't know how it popped up on my Twitter feed it's amazing that the satellite pictures of the kind of coastline coastlines of sort of Chittagong and uh, Pakistan and India showing all these huge great hulks of ships kind of battered right up against the shore are incredible it's It's really
0: on the edge of sci-fi, isn't it? Yeah. This kind of stripping of these huge, huge ships is very Ian M.
1: Banks-esque.
0: It is. uh, And McQuay, um, his art, it's got got that feel to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well worth a look.
0: Uh, Should we do some more news? Yeah, let's. Uh, mine is uh, an article that I saw in the Telegraph on their website. Um, the Telegraph. I know. Sometimes I I, I I like the cricket writing in it, and I and I Actually, saw this.
1: I agree completely. Cricket writing in the Telegraph is fantastic.
0: Um, and the uh, it's a it's a it's a story about um a chap called Kelvin Smith. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. no, I hadn't either. Uh, he's a um a letterpress chap. Uh, used to be um, a teacher at the LCC, or LCP maybe back then. Yeah. Uh, And um, the title of the – basically it's uh, uh, a journalist goes to visit all sorts of artisan people, and she's gone to see this chap who does letterpress and learns – you know, does a two-day course with him, I think, or probably just an afternoon, but um, learns how to uh, set type. It's always great to see the mainstream media – looking at the design world because it's very rarely looked at in in terms of graphic design yes I agree completely uh, uh, and this chap's very much a graphic designer he you know he is very serious (laughs) and uh, you don't really get a sense of uh, of of joy uh, from what he does but what he what he makes uh, he makes some beautiful products
1: Um, I'm sure he he has a a little inward sort of thrill of a smile when he he sets some type
0: Yeah, yeah. No, he's very, very serious and and very. I'd say earnest, um, but not overly so. Uh, But you know, yeah, it's absolutely incredible the collection of stuff that he's got. He learned under what was that chap's name that we talked about the other week? Um, uh, Who's who's also in Waterloo Vauxhall area? Um, The letterpress chap. Uh, He uh, does like bright colours, large bright coloured letters. Not Alan Kitchen. Yeah. okay i think he mentions him in 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 one of the movies that he
1: actually i think a lot of people who have anything to do with letterpress have come into contact with Alan kitchen yeah he worked he worked as his assistant that's it for my news i've got one other thing but it's not that
0: interesting so i'll skip it okay i'll finish on um one product um one website which is called everpress.com and i'm not sure whether have you mentioned this already Uh, I don't think so. It's a site that you would kind of just skip over quickly because it just looks like a Squarespace site to me. Um, But they're offering a a sort of a manufacturing process for artists. Um, And Anthony Burrell has produced some stuff using them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's kind of a crowdsourcing way of creating T-shirt designs. So uh as opposed to um threadless where you have to get enough votes to to do it all you have to do is sell five copies um and then they'll produce them and uh obviously charge you for the products and but they take care of all the fulfillment so it was interesting to me because it's kind of following the ellie press sort of form of commerce if and when that ever ever emerges but um yeah definitely if you've got ideas for short run t shirts. I mean maybe North v South could you know make a few. Um yeah. you know, even if we made 10, 15, 20, whatever. Um yeah, it's uh, you know, it's all That'd organic cool. cotton, um screen printed, so looks looks quite good. Um, yeah. So I have to admire what they're what they're trying to do.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it looks good that.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll have to have a proper proper look at that. Yeah, it looks good.
1: Well spotted.
0: And finally if you remember that noise that's altered beast by sega
1: i don't know Oh, i never had sega
0: they've just released a few of their classic mega drive games on iphone ios so uh yeah head over to the app store and download sonic because uh it's free and it's awesome (laughs) sonic the hedgehog ruined
1: my life (laughs) Did it? Yes. Yeah, I was. Ne- I never had a, a games console as a kid.
0: So <laughs> this week, our main topic. Go on. Hang on. Tell I'm going uh, to open a beer.
1: So, um, do you want to explain our topic this week, Jonathan?
0: Yeah. Well, um, we were we were just feasting on the crumbs at the bottom of the biscuit barrel, uh, and we realised that we've done quite a few. Top 10, top blah, blah, blah. And we're starting to turn into one of those uh, annoying websites. But what we wanted to look at today was books. And um, the first thing we wanted to say was <laughs> our book of the month has fallen by the wayside quite dramatically. And we just haven't had time to, uh, one, read a book or two, um, you know, get around to uh, sort of sinking, reading the same ones. Yeah. So we are rethinking that. But what, what we wanted to do is talk about why. We love books. Why we think books are well I think we we definitely agree on this, don't we? That are the 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 most wonderful things. And we wanted to talk about the influence and the power of the book. So we're going to do that by obviously mentioning some books that we absolutely love. But it's not necessarily a definitive list or anything. They're just sort of mm. they're just sort of landmark books in our lives. Um, and uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Why do you read? Well, what, why do what, you
1: read? Why do I read? What, what's the prime thing you get out of reading a good book?
0: Well, I wrote a long list of things that, that they are, but I, I'd say the prim, primary thing is it, uh, I'm quite a solitary person and uh, they are a way of escaping the world that I'm in at the moment. I think I found solace in books when my parents were uh, split up and it was quite a difficult time. And I just read because I think boys aren't known for reading early mm. on, are they? They they tend to come to reading later. But I was reading a lot by seven, eight, nine. I think I read Lord of the Rings at the age of nine or ten. Um, yeah. So I spent a lot of time on my own. And I think that, yeah, it's a it's a huge escape um but that doesn't necessarily say that it's a an escape from reality or, or you know or responsibility but i find that my um i just find uh, you know whole new worlds and uh, a real release from day to day mm. uh, so yeah i think what i get from it is a meditative process more than anything uh i find it yeah it's completely i, I you know when when i'm reading i I can't hear anybody
1: everything else is switched off isn't it
0: yeah which is similar to meditation in in many ways that <laughs> you'd know about that wouldn't you reading, no, a books, yeah. reading, reading a book's easier on your knees though yeah <laughs> uh, uh, what about you why, why do books
1: matter to you I think almost entirely the same sort of joy I get as you um, not really for the same reasons I think for me It's escapism um, and this way into other worlds. You know, I'm a huge fan of fantasy and science fiction, and I guess books allow me uh, a route into a world that isn't as mundane as I was. Um, So they provide me with that escapism and excitement of of a world that's different. Um, And weirdly, I think that the need for escapism seems to be growing in that I read more and more as a proportion of the books I read, science fiction probably takes up an even bigger proportion than it ever has. Um, Kind of in my 20s, I read a lot of contemporary fiction and a lot of classics, and I do feel the need to to read those kind of books as much anymore well, maybe this is just a, a phase um, I guess at the moment I don't have a huge amount of time to read so maybe I'm just maybe it's easier to to dive into a book that isn't perhaps as challenging and does give you that kind of instant escapism and the you know the the chance to kind of shut off everything else if you're busy um, but yeah it's definitely noticeable that that i seek out those kind of books more often than not now
0: but that's a <clears throat> that is a a, a a thing born from society and it has been for you know hundreds of years hasn't it that in mm. times of of national stress uh, reading matter and uh, especially novels do become uh, affected by what's happening so yeah. Uh, I remember studying uh, Victorian gothic l- literature at university and uh, Dracula was a you know could have been uh, an expression of the fear of the east uh, there was a mm-hmm. lot of a uh, lot of immigration into London at the time uh, from the pogroms in uh, eastern europe uh, in the late 19th century and Dracula is a kind of extension Uh, an expression of that similarly just before the first world war um there were loads of anti-german books and novels out uh uh, released that um kind of were sort of almost war of the worlds type books Mm -hmm. of the germans invading um and if you go back to uh the napoleonic ages or or even before you know the scarlet Pimpernels and um you know, there, there were just, uh, and then, you know, jump forward to the 60s and the spy novel. Yep. It was all about the threat of the unknown. And I think today we are experiencing that. So um, I'm not surprised that people are seeking, and I have been seeking quite a lot of, um, you know, reading books about, I guess, dystopia. Um, mm. uh, you know, we've got Handmaiden's Tale, we've uh, Children of Men, i just recently read. Um, and they're, they're all books that are kind of, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, uh, making you feel comfortable about the future because it's hard to, you know, to rationalise what's going to happen. Yeah. Um. So therefore reading about it makes you feel more comfortable. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, I get that completely. I think in some ways I, I've gone the opposite way because I – I really don't want to read dystopian stuff because I think reality is dystopian enough at the minute. Um, but in, I in, think, in essence, you are, aren't you? I mean, you know, if you could say well,
0: that the culture is the ultimate description of dystopia, isn't it? No, if, it's
1: not. It's, uh, <laughs> culture is... is you say uh, it's utopia? It? Yes, it's a post-scarcity world, isn't it?
0: Well, yeah, but it's, it's still a twisted future, isn't
1: it? It is. But
0: yeah I don't know yeah I'd I'd say sci-fi is totally totally born out of that that fear of of today yeah um but yeah no I I I I completely agree with you and I and I and I'm getting and I have that same same uh uh, urge to read that kind of literature at the moment but Mm. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it down by saying it's not no lesser or greater than than all the greats because um you know I I like reading what I like reading now.
1: I yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm quite um, comfortable. Yeah, I I think it's just it's noticeable for me because I used to read, you know, what you would term as you know more literary literary books rather than genre stuff. But um, hmm. I think one of the other reasons I read as well is. Uh, because I don't want to stop learning. <laughs> so I think if I'm if i not reading sci-fi stuff, <clears throat> I quite often read semi-factual or historical stuff. So like the – what's the Hilary Mantel one that I've just read? Wolf Hall. Wolf Hall. Wolf Hall or The Lunar Men by Jenny Ugler, which is kind of like a novelization of the, the men who uh, molded the Industrial Revolution or – kind of historical books on New York or London. I like, I, I kind of like to come away from those kind of books feeling like I've grown a bit as a person, which I don't really get from sci-fi fantasy stuff. But, you know, I I think I feel better about myself having read one of those kind of books.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I've written one of my why. One of my list items is educative and um I've written, If you're not reading, you're not learning. Yeah. And I I think that can extend out of books. But I think that there's something that is so powerful about books and you know, if we look back to the sort of the creation of printing, um, the actual physical uh active printing was born born to produce books or pamphlets which spread ideas and self-expression and i don't think anything else has or since done it so successfully yeah. um you know it changed the world it really did it changed everything about crea- about creativeness <laughs> no, that's terrible it did, it did it 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 altered the world irrevocably, irrevocably didn't it yep um, and then there's the physical thing the physical book which is a little bit <laughs> uh, controversial but holding a book and actually having paper in your hands that's that, well, that printed that whole thing upon. about having
1: an entire world in your hands is yeah. just a remarkable thing um, you know I still haven't gone down the Kindle the e-book route um, and despite the weight of my suitcases when I go on holiday I don't think I will I like to collect books. I like to look at them. You know, my studio, one wall is, is lined with bookshelves. And I like having them around me. Yeah, the, the, the just the physical form of a book I like. You know, sitting on a train, commuting, um, sat there holding a little paperback novel. It's just a comforting, reassuring thing. Yeah, it's reliable, isn't it? It can't
0: go wrong unless you drop yeah. it in the bath. And even then you can just about read it. Yeah, I, I think the other thing is is pleasure, is getting pleasure from something that isn't uh, short-lived. And, you know, there's pleasure, there's reading ple- pleasure, and then there's reading someone who can write, who just makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up when you read yeah. them for the first time, whatever floats your boat, really. But mine would be Hemingway, Graham Greene, uh, J.G. Ballard, um, and uh, Jilly Cooper. I had to put that in for my wife (laughs) no but uh, yeah I mean reading Graham Greene Heart of the Matter when I was 17, 18 um, just was an astonishing experience yeah Uh, yeah, his control of of the English language is something else
1: I think that's certainly something that I've grown to appreciate more you know I think before I was very much into story really I, you know I wanted I wanted to be taken on a journey and the language itself didn't matter too much but you know the books that I've kind of picked out and some of the other ones that I've listed these are all books that have absolutely stayed with me and a half of those reasons are probably for the purely the quality of the, the writing. Um, rather than just necessarily the story itself. Um, And I think because you and I both write occasionally, attempt stuff, um, I think I appreciate it an awful lot more than I did now that I've started trying to write stories and
0: books. Yeah, I've been dipping back into sort of fantasy uh, fiction, and I one of the great things about the Kindle is you can download a sample. So you basically get the first couple of chapters. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I haven't read many <laughs> <laughs> because I can't get beyond that clunky Dungeons and Dragons style. Yes. Uh, Dungeon Master, you know, made up names that have no real basis in language or yeah. form.
1: I guess that's why Tolkien is so good because everything is grounded
0: in. Yeah. It's historical stuff, isn't it? Yeah, as a bedrock, doesn't it? Um, and yeah. uh, and I think that's with uh, with the culture novels of M. Banks. I think you could say that he had a his his language was um, of the now of now. Uh, yeah. you know, pop culture that he you know used as some kind of ancient language. You know, the spaceships are named after ridiculous songs and references, yeah. um, and so therefore it gives them weight in the universe in the universe that he creates, and therefore makes you believe it um yeah uh so what are your uh through what are your books of note
1: <clears throat> i'll quickly run through a few that didn't quite make the list yeah um bob shaw's orbitsville which is one of the first science fiction books i can remember reading we've mentioned it before on here um ian bank's use of weapons which is uh an incredible science fiction story and, but at its heart, it's kind of got a love story and a really intriguing twist and a, a, a really bizarre little concept at the heart of it. Still, I probably haven't read that for five years, <clears throat> and that just keeps coming back to me. I remember uh, remember that uh, Caleb Carr's *The Alienist*, which is a fantastic historical novel about the about a psychologist in. Uh, New York in about 1895 or something who's leading the kind of forensic revolution in policing. Um, a little bit um, Sherlock Holmesy, but a real rip-roaring thriller. Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah. Um, Julian Barnes is the history of the world in ten and a half chapters. Yeah, I've got that in mind. It's great. Have you? Yeah, amazing. The bit, <clears throat> the bit that um, gets me, I think it's the chapter which is parenthesis, which is this little description of his, his wife or his lover. And there's a bit where he says, uh, I could draw you the map of her body from the hushed swell of her breathing, which I think is just one of the most beautiful bits of writing I've ever read. Um, and that's a, that's an incredible book. <clears throat> I mean, sort of baffling and strange, <clears throat> but really, really beautifully written. Um,
0: yeah, he's one of my favourite
1: authors. I, I think I've only ever read one of his authors. <clears throat> I'd read more. Um, so there are some of the books that didn't make it onto the list. The first one that does is E. Annie The Shipping News, um, which was a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel. It must be 20 years ago. It was written now, I guess. And it's a story of a a widow who returns home to Newfoundland to be with his aunt um, with his children after his wife dies in a car crash. And it's it's a really charming description of family life set against the backdrop of this kind of Newfoundland community. And it's also kind of a, a, just a really interesting story that's, that's shaped by the landscape and the weather and the, kind of the history of shipping and fishing. and It's a, a really beautiful book. It's I've, re, I've read it, you know, half a dozen times. And it's just beautiful. I love everything about it. Uh, <clears throat> um, the chapters are all prefaced by a little picture from Ashley's Book of Knots, um, and again, it's just one of those little charming little details that that makes me um, remember it so well. It's well worth reading. No,
0: I, haven't, I haven't read that. I will, I will read that. Is, is that been made into a film? It was made into a film with right. Kevin Spacey, um, which I haven't seen. Mm. Sometimes watching films of books you love is yes. not good. Uh, what's your first book? Mine is As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner. Uh, it 's a nineteen thirty novel now this this sounds like i 'm going to go into lots of heavy novels here, but it 's not it's not <laughs> it 's not at all it it changed the way i read um I did it for i think a, english a level it was one of the set books so i didn 't want to read it i didn't know about it I knew nothing about him i didn 't understand the world it came from, but it completely changed the way I read books it, you know overnight um when I read it uh it is a book that is so avant garde. Um even now it would be seen as avant garde. It's I think it's written it's got uh it's it's broken down into all sorts of uh different length chapters, some of them are like a couple of words. Um mm. and it's written by uh it has I think fifteen or so different uh voices sometimes you're not quite sure which voices they are um and it's about a journey of a um a family who are taking uh, their dead mother in a coffin to uh, a city i can't remember where it is i think it's is it's in mississippi somewhere right so, the so the the, the nearest big town. Uh, it's been a long time since I read it. All the different voices are speaking in different truths, and you not and some of them are so um, so lacking in intelligence that, or they're trying to hide secrets that you're never quite sure of what the real truth is. Um, and it's a fantastic book. It's not very long, and it's easy to to tell that it's one of the most important yeah. novels of its time. I mean, it really is out there. Um, right. and it's funny and dark and sad um, and uh yeah it's, it's well worth well worth a read cool um, yeah what's your second one uh, Richard Bach's Illusions
1: <clears throat> read it no have you read Jonathan Livingston Siegel no so it's kind of a sequel to that so uh, written in the 60s or 70s And I think it's kind of regarded as kind of a spiritual self help book, which. You love all that stuff. Is entirely not the sort of thing (laughs) I would ever pick up. I was bought it um, when I was probably 12 or 13 by a girl at my school, a really good friend of mine. And she was very spiritual and meditative, and she's Mm -hmm. now a yoga teacher. Um, And I think I, initially, I just enjoyed it purely for the story, which is about. Two barnstorming pilots in the Midwest of America uh, who meet <clears throat> and it turns out one of them is a a retired messiah um, and he he kind of teaches his his protege already some uh, some messiah-like tricks and he imparts his wisdom um, but it's just a very beautiful book and it's it's uplifting and Um, it really makes you think about, uh, kind of what you can get out of life, I think. So I guess it did have that bit of an effect on me. It's, it's a, it's a lot about, you know, you make life, you know, life is what you make it sort of thing. Um, but it's a beautiful book. And after that, I read, uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, which again is in some ways, it's the same kind of a book. It's just written from the point of view of a seagull. And that's again an, an incredible book. Um, and I know that my the friend that bought it to me, so she loved it when she bought it for me when we were uh, twelve or thirteen or something. And um, I know that she really doesn't like it anymore. She thinks it's sort of shallow and pretentious. <clears throat> um, and I still like it because I think I can still appreciate it as just a an interesting little story Mm. so it's one of those I think you can just take it however you want but again like the shipping news and like many of those books I mentioned that didn't quite make this final three they're just stories that have stuck with me that I might not have picked up for five or ten years and you can still remember huge amounts about them and they'll they'll kind of pop into your mind at unexpected times when you're not thinking about books and something will just remind you of them.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting uh, approach. <clears throat> mine, mine was slightly different in minor, minor things. I say I, I wouldn't say epochal, but they are definitely moments where it made me go off and explore a whole new worlds that I hadn't mm. tried before. So they're kind of like bridging books between yeah. discovery moments. So the first one, I guess, sent me off to find out about. Americana, and um, I guess a, a mismatch in in society. I hadn't really thought about mm-hmm. it before then. Having gone to private school, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> hadn't really been exposed to uh, to any any hardships in life. Um, but the uh, the next book is the Kindness of Women by J.G. Ballard, um, and it's I thought when I first read it, it was autobiographical, but it turns out it's a novel. And it's the sequel to Empire of the Sun, which was a film made with, um, I think Spielberg made it, didn't he? And it's uh, Christian Bale. Christian Bale uh, as a as a young kid. This
1: I thought I thought that was autobiographical.
0: Yes, so it's based on his past, but um, he does say that none of the characters in the book are real. Are real. Um, So they're kind of. I think a lot of it is it, it are sort of. Uh, post rationalization of why he writes and why he is like he is. Um, And they're kind of like little vignettes of his life that Mm -hmm. why they created why they made him um, write in the way he does. And so in The Kindness of Women, he returns from uh, Shanghai where he was interned during the uh, Second World War. And he is, convinced that uh third world war is going to break out anytime so he becomes tries to become a pilot uh and he gets involved in all sorts of different things but it's just a it's a fantastic book um because it touches on all of the things that he then follows in in all his novels in in terms of architecture drugs um uh the crash sequence um and and mostly sex um and right. it's um mostly about the loss of his wife whom he lost uh he lost she 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 caught pneumonia when they were on holiday in majorca or somewhere like that um and uh and and died very very quickly when all the kids were very very young so he had to bring up um his children on his own but he relied on friends and family uh, especially females to help him get through it through the grief. Yeah. Um but I was reading an interview with his daughter and they never spoke about um the lost mother ever again no. when he while he was alive never spoke about it.
1: So, yeah, he lived in Chepton. Yeah, he did. Yeah. The, I don't know how for how long but certainly the, the last Oh his year. whole life. Oh, was oh, it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I used to see him every now oh, and then. We had the shock there,
0: yeah. Oh wow. Yeah yeah I, I, uh, this <clears throat> book is 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 sad and fascinating um I kind of lump him in with um Roald Dahl in in, mm. in 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 his life um and also David Niven I don't know why a Moons a Balloon it it reminds yeah, yeah. me of that as well he, again he tragically lost his his wife who fell down some stairs at a at a party um and uh and it, it just has this sense of loss at the, at the at the uh the heart of the of the novel Do you um, think do you
1: think that loneliness brings out a, a
0: different kind of writer. I think, yeah, I think that loss does, doesn't it? Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I just think this is an extraordinary novel. It really, it really is brilliant. Um, and it's kind of, it, it, what it led me to is reading sci-fi in a completely different way, um, of of not looking at sort of spaceships in the future, yeah. but it's kind of that. <clears throat> Is That was that a ghost I just saw in the corner of my eye? Is that you know, is that glimpse of the future? Mm-hmm. Um, just that tantalizing hint of something different, um, which is uh, which is just always fascinating to me. Yeah, well, uh, I'll have to give that a read. And a quote in it, in uh, which is kind of uh, uh, relevant to now is uh, he writes, um, and he, I think he wrote this book in 92, so it was quite late on in his career. Watching and filming instead of helping becomes the norm. And he was Lovely. he was very saddened by society doing that.
1: God, what would he have thought now? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, my last selection, in some respects, couldn't be more different because it is uh, Rhea Bradbury's short stories. So I'm cheating a little bit because it's two volumes and there's a couple of hundred Yeah, there's a short lot of stories. stories. <laughs> Um, and I think superficially, sort of at their heart, they're just cracking stories—really enjoyable. Uh, a real variety of genres. There's uh, vampires, Martians, dinosaurs, time machines, um, and because they're short stories, they're quite they're quite simple in structure and um, kind of plot-wise. That you know, they're generally a a one idea story, which makes them really easy to just kind of, you know, read through a bunch of them. Um, but some of his sort of non genre short stories in there are the ones that have stayed with me the most. I mean, yes, I love uh, his October Country ones about vampires and um, uh, his Martian Chronicle stories. And they're all amazing. Um, but some of his stories don't really subscribe to those genres at all. There might be a hint of sci-fi about them, but really they're stories just about people. Whoop, my pie is just arriving. Thank you, dear.
0: Oops.
1: Uh... <clears throat> So, yeah, these the stories about people, um, and there's, there's three that I've, I've kind of written about here. To Buy the Numbers is a story about an overbearing parent, that parent that forces a son to, to be something that he's not. Um, and in particular, it's, he wants his son to be um, an Olympic swimmer. So he makes him – he drills him in the swimming pool. Uh, and he, he parents him with like a an authoritarian military rule. Um, and I work just in case anyone wants to read it. I won't give away what happens. But with a with a lot of these simple short stories of Ray Bradbury's, you think you know what's going to happen, or or you you just kind of read your way gently through them, and then he just twists it at the end, and it's just a thoroughly unexpected um, kind of plot in the end. Um, another one called A Touch of Petulance, which is about a warning. And a hint of sci-fi It's a, a man on his train meets his future self, and he goes, he goes home. They go home together and have dinner, and his future self warns him about his wife. And the last kind of line of the story, it, the, the man is newly married and he doesn't believe that there's anything wrong with his wife and that they're perfectly matched. Um, and in the end, towards the end, after his, his time-travelling self has gone, his wife says something to him and, and the man says, oh, wasn't there just a touch of petulance about the way she said something? And it's, it's incredible because it, that one line at the end of the story just throws open this this entire world of possibilities about what could then happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's got this breadth of writing across all these different genres. Um, And I think at the heart of them all, even like the robot stories or the time traveling stories, they're all about people. I think he was a real good observer of people and, and writes about characters in a real simple way, you know, not overly sort of literary, um, but they're just beautiful stories and I haven't picked up one of these, either of the two volumes for probably five or maybe even 10 years. Cause I think they're still in a box somewhere that I haven't unpacked since I moved here. Um, but I could probably list you 50 of the stories and, and describe a, a good couple of dozen more.
0: <laughs> yeah. Complete, uh change of direction mine is a book called keep it simple by alistair little who is a chef
1: yeah
0: and a very great chef who mm. sadly doesn't cook much anymore um he and i think he's moving to australia because there was a food program special on him on radio 4 uh, this week mm-hmm. which i haven't listened to yet um but my uh, mother-in-law told me all about said it was excellent. He is an acerbic, uh, sarcastic, funny chef who self- was self-taught in the streets of Soho. And this book is... Uh, I really love cooking, by the way. So, uh, yeah, I, I really loved cooking. Um, but before I got this book, I was kind of, you know, I'd learned the, some of the basics and then I kind of chuck things in and, you know, whatever, you know, that kind of student cooking. Yeah. This changed the way i saw food saw cooking it's um it's based seasonally um he is quite strict on uh, on his um on in his recipes and how he should treat food uh it's all about preparation and the best quality ingredients and it was totally new when it came out and uh and and he can write he's funny and uh um you know, so, for example, when he's describing how much uh, salt to add in when you're cooking a lobster, he says mm-hmm. uh, it's about as salty as the North Sea, but not as salty as the Dead Sea, <laughs> which I think is a better sentence than a tablespoon of salt.
1: Absolutely. Because he gives I, you I that judgment.
0: When it's well written. Yeah, he, he, he is fantastic. Um, it's impossible to get now. It's been out of print for quite a while. And mm-hmm. I realized that I bought this in 1996 uh, and it's 60 quid now. For the Jeez. paperback. Yeah, cuz I tried to buy my mother-in-law one today and I was oh. like, no way. I'm not getting that. Um but hopefully we'll see it reprinted. Um yeah. but it's it, it's a classic and um yeah uh, and yeah, have uh, you got a
1: favorite dish from it?
0: Um I cook a lot, but there's one in there called Orvieto chicken. He used to run a um a cookery school in um uh, in Tuscany in Orvieto, mm. which is right in the south of Tuscany. And uh he they would one of the last uh, days they would just buy a chicken and come come back and roast it and it's stuffed with olives and potatoes and fennel and um it's a great dish. Sounds that amazing. with a glass of uh of Orvieto white wine is fantastic yep. but you know i think food for me is or cookbooks i i lo- i absolutely love cookbooks and they but they can become rather fetishistic but that is one i that i go to all the time i always you know it's got my pizza recipe in it it's got my pesto you know he's italian influence but you know they, those are those are things that i go back to time after time i guess like mums do with all sorts you know like the delia yeah, yeah. i was <clears> packed <throat> off to university with delia Delia's cookery course
1: yeah I think I was as well
0: <laughs> but yeah that that was a that, that's a it's, a it's a great great book if you can get a hold of it yeah yeah oh, cool but the the other book because uh, you you listened some of yours I mean my my I, I've said it already you know I think Lord of the Rings made me want to read yeah. um out of any other books that I'd read uh I'm reading um Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to my daughter at the moment who's three Um, but it's my original Puffin book club copy that I found under my mum's bed it's (laughs) great it's really really good to be reading that Um, I say Consider Phlebus because it's the first culture novel I read and it changed the way I saw sci-fi The Silver Chair which is um, one of the uh, C.S. Lewis books it's the first one I read that got me into that The Dark is Rising, I think it was called, a Susan Cooper. Did you ever read any of those Merlin? Books. Yeah, that, that's really good about how um they were sort of fantasy books uh from the 70s and right. how the past uh, merlin and uh basically evil was rising up through england again uh, mm. and affecting these kids who were in the present day um and uh what's another one city of thieves i think there was the fighting fantasy fighting oh, fantasy i love that book um and yeah. i think it really got me into drawing and art a lot just the
1: drawings in it are fabulous um yeah i'm not sure i'd read any fantasy stuff before i read the fighting fancy i think i was almost entirely um comics yeah before that yeah i was i was kind of late to reading properly i used to be bored when we were given books at school to read because they were quite often very boring when my first um, dissertations at college was about books, and it was called the Silver Surfer versus coal mining in County Durham, because <laughs> that was that was kind of my options, you know, reading yeah. comic books or reading really dry stuff at school. Um, so yeah, I was very late to uh, reading, um, and I I really think those fighting fighting fancy novels were probably some of the earliest I read.
0: I think I think uh, a lot of. Uh, boys of our generation could probably thank those or the dungeons and dragons rule book yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it's funny because uh dan gray i don't know when, when he did this uh he mentioned in one of his i think it might have been one of his newsletters that mm-hmm. he uh he much preferred reading the rule books than, yes. than actually playing them and I, I just I read that and I just laughed out loud because I <laughs> I, I loved the paranoia rule book. I just loved the the drawings in it and the funny little um, little sort of narratives that were running through it. Of, you know, sort of kind of explaining the game, but yeah. it was much better fun to read that rule book than to actually
1: play it. I think I enjoyed uh, drawing up the the character attribute sheets. Um, more than play.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd really I, go to
1: town
0: on that. I, the first thing. I the first program I ever wrote was a character generation uh, sheet for Dungeons and Dragons. I wrote on my Ooh. dad's stolen laptop. <laughs> well, when I say it was a laptop, it was it was called an Osborne one, and it weighed about half a ton. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Right, we're late, aren't we? Uh, uh, we I, are should, I should start. go and get a pie. Oh. Hang on a sec. Oh yes.
1: Okay, go for it. What are you What are you having? <clears throat> I've got a. A cook steak and red wine pie. So cook are these and kind the of frozen meals you can buy. They're kind of handmade, um, better than the average frozen meal. And I really like a lot of their stuff. They got some really delicious things. So this is a red wine and steak pie. Except it's not a pie. It's just got a lid. So it's in one of those kind of woodeny tray type things, <clears throat> shortcrust. Um, pastry lid really super tender steak really you know falling off the fork tender um, carrots and onions and a really rich red wine sauce it tastes a bit like kind of beef bourguignon um, pretty good probably gets a seven oh. but, but probably has to be disqualified because I'm not sure just having a pastry top
0: well I've got the base to your top because mine's oh, a, he- mine's a shell but it's got what they call a phyllo crown. Oh. Uh, this is a higgity pie. Yes. Um I'm not a fan of not a fan of their concept of what a pie is. No, absolutely not. They need a good stern talking to. Pesto chicken pie with a phyllo crown. Well if you're going to start a company that makes pies at least make a pie. Yeah. I think you had one the other week didn't you that actually had a top on it. I did. Um, Well, I've just realized this is a giant quiche with a swirl of pesto on the top. (laughs) So anyway, I'm going in. Crunchy. It is crunchy. That's the phyllo.
1: Oh, I do look like a good pie.
0: Yeah. Well, if that's pesto, (laughs) uh, no, it doesn't taste of pesto at all. It tastes incredibly salty. Um, I guess because it's got parmesan in it. Yeah. Um. It's not bad, but it's not a great pie. Uh, why? Why does it have to have a phyllo <coughs> topping? It does nothing to it. Uh, that's got a five.
1: Oh dear. Yeah. Yeah, mine's a good, a good solid seven. It's a, it's a decent pie that, or a decent stew with a lid. Good lad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the rest of your week
0: got in store? <clears throat> Um, tomorrow I've got, uh, some infographics to finish. Mm-hmm. I love doing them.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and that's it. And then I think I'm going to go to the grandparents for the weekend with little one because okay. I'm on my They're own. On the yes. Uh, Jessica's parents rather than mine. Um, okay. and, uh, they like, they like their little one. Well, so, sure um, Yeah so she can play around with the uh, with the grandparents and I can watch spitfires going overhead
1: well that sounds pretty delightful
0: yeah <coughs> what are you up to Are you working
1: uh shoreditch tomorrow and then saturday uh helping steph with a wedding in greenwich um, Yeah, well, that's it poor right, fella
0: good to talk to you you too uh, love to steph and good luck with the wedding and um, yeah it was a good good show enjoyed it for enjoyed right. cheerio we're no good for making carpet.